Well, Amy Downs, welcome to the Entrepreneur Studio. So happy to have you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. So I'm glad you found your way here. Yes. Yeah. Native Oklahoman? No. Okay. Actually, tell me about that. Born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh-huh. And how'd you find your way here? Oh, gosh. That is a story. That's a story, actually, in <laughs> itself. So that's a loaded question. Um, well, you know, I flunked out of uh, college because I couldn't pass a math class. Actually, flunked it twice. And uh, my boyfriend broke up with me. So I was in this um, tailspin. This is back when you couldn't live with your parents till okay. you were 40. Yeah. So I'm like 20 and trying to figure out what to do. And my sister lived here. And she said, come to Oklahoma City, like have a fresh new start. This was in 1988. Everybody at that time was leaving Oklahoma City. But I came to Oklahoma City and thought I would put my amazing math skills to work mm -hmm. at a financial institution okay. with a cash drawer and got a job. And that's how it started. And you, you, you know, there were no calculators right? You had to no, do. No. So I did not balance my drawer very well, okay. actually. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Well, um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, you've got a pretty remarkable story, right? That does have, I'd say, really close ties, roots to Oklahoma City. And um, I know that it's a, a, you know, a subject that is is a super challenging one, but I have to say, getting to know you, to know your story and to hear these things, I think it's so pertinent to the trajectory mm -hmm. right of and the arc of your story that isn't over yet mm -hmm. right your story is not over yet Absolutely. but you've got such a remarkable story i i really thought that what we should do is talk a little bit about um you talk about the oklahoma city bombing and for you to kind of walk us through a, a little bit of what happened sure. that day yeah right and you know too i feel like a lot of times um my story has been one of transformation and when you look at Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City has an amazing story of transformation. Yeah. And when I think about when I first came here and in 1988, you know, for that job, um, the downtown didn't look anything like this, anything like this. And so I'm working downtown Oklahoma City, which is nothing. And April 1995, I had been here seven years at that point working for the same credit union. And my office was front and center of the federal building on the third floor. Mm -hmm. So I was about maybe 20 feet from the front glass windows. And on the morning of April 19th, 1995, I remember it being such a beautiful morning. You know, Oklahoma is windy. Oklahoma is crazy mm -hmm. in the springtime. We could have a tornado. I mean, there's no telling. But that morning was one of those beautiful, still uh, blue skies. The red buds were in full bloom. And I just remember taking it all in when I came into downtown, like how beautiful it was. I hurry to my desk. I sit down and a coworker of mine who was seven months pregnant came and sat down right beside me. I remember turning to ask her what she needed but I don't know if the words ever came out of my mouth or not, because that is when the bombing happened. Mm -hmm. And I just remember this incredible roaring noise that was so loud in my head and everything going black and all of a sudden feeling this just incredible rushing sensation like I was falling. And all of this happened so fast and it's happening at the same time. It's like my brain couldn't comprehend what was happening. Yeah. I remember my first thought was maybe someone had come in and shot me in the back of the head mm. working for a financial institution you always are a little worried about robbery yeah, yeah. and i had the it, and i thought well maybe we just got robbed maybe you know that's that's all i could think of because there was such a powerful force that had happened i knew whatever had happened i knew i thought my life was over i mean i knew it was really bad and I remember hearing all of the screaming and this cracking noise, which was probably the, either the building crumbling or the fertilizer exploding. I'm not sure what, but then it got really quiet and I knew I had landed. It was still, but I couldn't move and I couldn't see anything. It was just pitch black. This all happened like in an instant. Instant, just in an instant. And I remember there was this terrible smell that just burned to breathe and it was really hot. And I couldn't see anything. I remember just straining to open my eyes, trying mm -hmm. to see. And it didn't matter whether 
I, my eyes were open or closed. It was just pitch black. And I was screaming for help, but there was no, no answer. There was mm-hmm. nothing. And I laid there thinking, am I dead or alive? You know, is, am I, did I die? You know, what, what has happened? And I heard a siren going off in the distance and I decided, okay, I can hear this siren going off. I must still be alive. And I would keep yelling for help, but there would be no answer. And this went on for about 45 minutes. Mm. And then I heard some men's voices and I heard this man say off in the distance, okay, let's split up. Let's look for the daycare babies. All right. So this is all in a span of like 45 seconds, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. So I had 45 minutes where I was laying there just yelling for help and no answer. But after the time had passed, I heard men's voices and I heard them saying, let's split up, let's for the daycare babies. And I thought that was weird because I worked on the third floor and the daycare was on the second floor. I didn't realize that we were all at the bottom of what was once this nine story building. But I started screaming my head off and and I heard the man say, I hear you, I hear you child, how old are you? <laughs> I remember thinking, I'm two, you know, I thought if I tell him, I'm, <laughs> if I say I'm 28, is he going to come yeah. get me, you know? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm I'm 28. And he goes, that's okay, that's okay. And he starts yelling, we have a live one, we have a live one, I need backup, I need help. And he said, we can't see you, you have to keep talking to us, we have to follow the sound of your voice. And I asked him what had happened, and he said it had been a bomb. Well, in 1995, we didn't know what car bombs were. I mean, yeah, that was not a thing, sure, right? for sure. And I grew up with a father who lied about his age when he was 17 to fight in World War II. So when I thought of a bomb, I thought of like, you know, a plane dropping a bomb, yeah. you're at war. So I started asking questions about other parts of Oklahoma City. Like, it took me a little bit to figure out that this bomb only happened to our building. But they were getting closer to where I was located. I was still in my desk chair, actually upside down, buried under 10 feet of rubble. But my right hand was sticking out the side of the rubble pile. So they found my hand and I thought, you know, they're getting ready to grab my hand. Yeah. One, two, three, up and out. I'm, I'm good. But about the time they found my hand, I heard a lot of commotion and I could hear people screaming and I heard men yelling, there's another bomb. There's another bomb. Let's go. Let's go. There's another bomb. We need everybody out. And the men were trying to talk over this saying, Amy, we need to get some more hydraulic equipment. We're going to be right back. We just need to get some more equipment. But I could hear, I could hear the people screaming and running and mm. So I just started telling them my name, tell my family I love them over and over. I just kept Mm -hmm. saying that because I knew this was it. And so they left and this is when, you know, at this point, my reality was that I really am getting ready to die. I now know what it was and this is it. And I started having, you know, what people refer to as life flashing before your eyes, Mm -hmm. just thinking about my life and how I had not lived it. Mm-hmm. You know, how I had taken so much for granted and the regrets I had for how I had been living my life or not living it. And I just started praying and making all kinds of like, you know, bargaining with God. You know, if I just could have a second chance, you know, I would never live my life the same. I would do anything, you know, just, you know, just everything from thinking about the fact that I'd never been a mom and, you know, that I had wasted you know, my opportunity for education that I had really not done anything on purpose. Mm. I just had been floating along, you mm-hmm. know? And so I just had such deep regret. And then at some point there was a song that popped into my head that we used to sing when I was growing up. Um, we went to church and I started just singing the song of all the strange things to do. And at that point, that's when I felt peace. And I think it was because I got my mind off of my problems Mm -hmm. and my situation. And I really felt that I was okay with whatever was getting ready to happen. I did not think I was going to make it out alive. I didn't know, you know, that was going to happen. You let go of the outcome. I just let go that it was getting ready. I was going to step into eternity. And um, that was about 45 minutes, that whole ordeal. And then I heard the men coming back. And of course, there was not a second bomb and they started working to get me out. But I was really stuck. And I was in a part of the, what was left of the building that was extremely unstable. And the Oklahoma wind had started picking up. And so they were very concerned for the safety of my rescuers. So they would have to stop about every 20 minutes or so to talk about amputating my leg. Mm. 
the entire time I stayed in my chair upside down, couldn't see anything the whole time while they worked trying to remove all of the rubble to, to pull me out. I would ask them, you know, hey, you guys are going to be able to get me out, right? And I remember the guy would always answer, the chief firefighter would always answer, um, Amy, we're going to do our best. And I just would be left with this this feeling of mm-hmm. uncertainty. Uh, uncertainty. So it's not, so the whole time I wasn't, it's not like I thought, oh, we got this, they're getting me out. You know, it, it wasn't like that at all. Not so very they, confidence boosting. No, huh? but I also understand now why they do that. As a firefighter, you can't promise somebody, I'm going to get you out. How would they live with themselves if they oh, yeah. couldn't? You know, so totally. I understood that later. Um, but after about six and a half hours, they said, okay, we're going to count to three and we're going to pull. This is probably going to hurt. And of course, I'd been telling them it, along the way. I'd been saying, hey, if you guys need to cut something off to get me out, cut it off. Like, it's amazing what kind of bravery you yeah, have like, when it's life or death, you yeah. know? So when they counted to three and they pulled and I came out from under the rubble, every nerve came alive and it did hurt, but I didn't care. I was alive. I was out. I looked around and thought, this is not real. I'm in a movie. This isn't real. Like I, my eyes, my brain could not comprehend what my eyes were actually seeing. Mm. They put me on the back of a gurney and they took me out of the back of what was once the federal building. I remember looking up at the sky that had been so beautiful that morning and it was dark gray it was cold outside, it was windy, and it was starting to rain, just like it was in the middle of winter or something. But I remember taking that first breath of fresh air and filling my lungs up and just promising I will never live my life the same. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what my injuries were, I didn't know about my coworkers, but I knew that if I made it, I was never going to live my life the same. And so they took me to um, the ambulance and um, I was, rushed to the hospital and ended up in the hospital for about eight days and found out during that time that um, 18 of my 33 coworkers, 18 of my 33 coworkers all killed. So it was, um, the grief was just unbelievable. Just, you don't realize, especially in your twenties, I think you don't realize the people that you work with how close you actually are to them. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, I remember even the girl who had sat down right beside me right before the bomb went off, she was somebody who kind of got on my nerves, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's face it, we all have people we work with yeah, that get on sure. nerves, right? And she kind of got on my nerves sometimes. And I, you know, I, I, I just felt terrible. You know, she was killed and, and then later, you know, I couldn't make all the funerals because I was in the hospital, but I made the last couple of funerals and sitting at their funerals, just thinking I never had a chance to tell. Like my boss was a mentor to me. She was an amazing, amazing woman. I never told her anything like that because back then you didn't do that. You didn't say things to your boss like that. You would be called a brown noser or whatever, you know, whatever the term was. And so I just had some regret for words left unsaid to my coworkers. And I think, you know, I, well, to this day, um, in fact, Lance Hafner will tell you this. I am the one that will send the ridiculous, sappy, like, I love you mm-hmm. email. Here's what I appreciate about you. Here's how amazing you are. And I don't care because I don't want to sit at your funeral one day and have regret that I didn't tell you while you were alive yeah. really how great you are. Mm-hmm. You know, so that has definitely impacted my life. And, yeah, you became COVID. awake to something that a lot of people don't uh, yeah. come awake to. Like you, we spend all this time with people at work. There are customers who come every day to places. There are clients. Yes. There are patrons. There, are, you know, mm-hmm. all these people. But there's these people at work. Uh, it, it, it until something tragic like that happens, you don't know. I lost my mentor. Uh, he he was fit. Was Forty eight was on went on vacation and died in a cvs parking lot and i had no idea what it really meant to have somebody that close to me uh that i worked with that hurt more than a family member dying in some some respects it does because you spend more time with people at work and so there is a hurt that's hard to explain you know but you're with them all the time you you don't even realize it because you're accomplishing goals together yeah so there's a certain amount of bonding and camaraderie that's happening because you're in the trenches working on things together and 
I just, I, it was, it was, and, and I think another hard part was while I was in the hospital, I would get calls from family members of those that I worked with asking if I remembered what they were wearing that day mm-hmm. because they were trying to identify the bodies. And I couldn't remember what anybody had on. And I had spent an hour running around talking to everybody. And the only person I could remember what she was wearing was my best friend, Sonia, because she tried to wear what we call back then they called it a power suit. You know, she got invited to the supervisor meeting and it was her first time. So she wanted to wear a power suit and she was really funny. So it just had shoulder pads and stuff. Um, It's a bright color. So it's either going to be bright red. Mm. It's supposed to be bright red. Okay. Well, hers was yellow. It was a yellow suit. (laughs) So she got to work and she said, y'all. I really just look like a big old yellow sunflower. And I mean, <laughs> she did. We were all laughing. So the only person I could remember what they had on was Sonia and yeah, her yellow suit, you, you know? So to even today, I sometimes will find myself looking at what people are wearing, you mm-hmm. know, in the office. Just, I don't know, you know. So that 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 realization and becoming awake to to that, that is something that, that you've started to, or you took from that day on. Yes. You, you don't take that stuff for granted. No. Who you're around, the no. surroundings. No. what it feels like uh, to be around them, who they are, what they're wearing. Even if I'm intimidated by, you know, the chairman of the board or whoever it is, I might am going to send that mushy email once a year. And yeah, that's amazing. Uh, what? Um, so you're you're you're, you know, you've gone to these funerals, you're you're out. Um, you've made all of these promises you've bargained. Yes. Right. So talk to me about the moment of clarity that you had and like yeah. what what decision did you make and how did you sort of recommit right. to, to the the pleadings and the, the how, how did that sort of come back about how long, you know, how long did it take? You know, I always want to say that, you know, on day eight, I left the hospital and cue the Rocky music. I went running out of the hospital down the steps mm-hmm. to change yeah. my life. You mm-hmm. know, it didn't quite work that way. So <laughs> I was uh, I was really traumatized for really a couple of years. Um, Mm. And I had to focus on rebuilding our credit union because if you think as a business, so you think about a business, we had one location, which was in the federal building. It was free space. We didn't pay for it. We were there to only serve, our business model was to only serve the people in that building. So we just lost our one location. We lost our free space, our purpose, and we lost over half of our staff. How in the world do you come back from that? How in the world do you even survive? But it became personal because I didn't want the memories. I I didn't want the people who had invested so much of themselves to build our business to be, it it felt personal. Like if our business disappeared, that somehow their memory disappeared. Oh, wow. So those of us that were left, which were just a handful, we worked just very hard to bring it back and to make it survive. So the first few years were really consumed with um, with that. So I really focused on that. But so you really committed to work. I was really committed to work. Yeah. There were a few changes I made um, right off the bat, like spiritually and just deepening my friendships with like my family and my friends because I mm-hmm. realized how important all of that it really is. Yeah. So there were changes like that that I made right away. Um, I kept having this feeling like I was living on borrowed time. And so oh, it, wow. one day when I was at work and we had just really been accomplishing so much, it was just, when I look back now, it's amazing, like how we survived. My, we, we had hired a new CEO, our, our CEO that had lived through the bombing, um, retired, you know, like a couple of years mm-hmm. after. And the new CEO we hired was this amazing woman who had a total different leadership style because I came into business with the, I'm the boss. I said it, you do it. Don't ask mm-hmm. questions. In fact, I remember sitting in staff meetings where somebody had a suggestion and they said, um, we don't care how you did it where you worked before. You're here now. You'll do it this way. Like it was a very, wow. but that's, but that is how everybody lived. Yeah. So this new leader was very different. And I was in her office one day and she says to me, um, you know, Amy, you know, you're the future of this credit union. You know, it's a layer down. It's not with me. It's a layer down as the future. And she said, you know, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about this place? What would you do? And I'm like, I'm sitting in the CEO's office, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, is this a trick question? Like, yeah. how do you answer that? Like, like, what's happening? Ah, right what's happening? So I'm, you know, looking at her and she says, no, no, really, you have a magic wand. It's to say whatever, whatever you answer. So I start talking about like, well, we would have this great culture. You know, I just, I'm describing, you know, we're going to 
hold hands and sing kumbaya kind of yeah. thing, you know? Because this coming from the person who writes the sappy, you well, know, sappy emails. Exactly. Yeah. But keep in mind, we had to hire, um, we had to hire over half of our staff literally overnight. Mm -hmm. So we had a hot mess because we didn't really screen anybody. We just, you know, we hired, right? You just, yeah, you're hired. So then we're sitting here with this terrible culture because we have the few of us that survived, which, you know, we are like, yeah. you can't touch us. Yeah. And you're took the place of somebody who died. So you're, oh my gosh, oh, they can't live awful. up to anything. No, yeah. no. So it's a very terrible culture. So I'm describing like how we're going to have this great culture and everything. And she listened to me and she said, okay, given your current situation and your current limitations, well, I'm not in management. I don't have a budget. Mm -hmm. That would be my situation and limitations. Mm -hmm. Given your current situation, your current limitations, I want you to make a list of the smallest steps that you can take toward what you just described. And I want you to work on that. That's your action steps. And I left her office like, what just happened? Like, I'm in, I'm not the CEO. I'm not even, in, I'm in charge of culture. Like what just happened? But it was exciting. And yeah. I realized now the reason it was exciting was because what she gave me was hope. Mm. Because hope is believing that your future can be better and brighter than your past and that you actually play a role in making that happen. So what she did was she gave me hope and a pathway toward it. So um, that was very powerful. And that was a turning point. That, that would be my clarity and my turning point because I started using that little formula on everything. And one day I was sitting at work thinking, you know, I'm a rock star at work. I really am. And, <laughs> and why am I such a rock star at work? And my personal life just sucks. Okay. So I thought I need to just use some of this little stuff on my my own self, you yeah. know? So I got out a card and I wrote down, I've been thinking about it. I wanted to go back to college. I was hiring people with degrees. It embarrassed me that I didn't have one. It was a mistake I felt I'd made. So I wanted to go back to school. And I mean, my... My first step was literally to look up the phone number for LSUS to get, find out how to get my transcript. And then the next step was, you know, to research colleges to find out who will take a 0 0.50 grade point average. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how small it was, you know, and wow. then fast forward, you know, a few years later, I'm graduating, you know, top of the class with my degree. I mm -hmm. keep going. I get my MBA mm -hmm. and I'm like, my confidence just exploded. And I thought, you know what, what I need to really. And so that's when I really just fully started embracing life. Like I can do it. I can yeah. manage my life. I can do these things. And, um, I, you know, there were things I wanted to work on, like my weight. I weighed 355 pounds. Whoa. So I started researching like, what other, like, what are all the options, right? I've tried different plans. You know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, so yeah. dieting isn't working for me. Like, what do I need to do? And there was a new bariatric procedure called a gastric sleeve. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm pulling out the stops here. Like, I don't care. Judge me all you want. I'm living my life and I'm going to do what it takes to take my life back. Are you still working at the credit union at this yeah. time? Yeah. So you, wait, so you're, you have, a, you know, you have a list for the CEO, mm -hmm. uh, and your first mountain that you decide to climb and use this magic wand is, you know, uh, I'm going to go back to college while you're still working. You graduate mm -hmm. the top of your class and you find another mountain, which is your health. And what was kind of cool, though, is my my CEO had actually said something to me about going back to college. She was like, you know, because she saw potential in me before I saw it myself. And she mm -hmm. said, you know, the days are going to be gone where you can get a CEO job without a degree because she didn't have a degree. She said, you know, those days are really gone. You need to think about that in your future. And she knew I'd already been thinking about it. Well, I flipped the script on her. And when I decided to go back, I said, you know, I am going to go back. <clears throat> and um, you ought to go with me because you don't have a degree. So you got to go back with me. No way. <laughs> I did. And she went and we graduated together. She did together. too? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So we both went back to school. We both got our degree in organizational leadership. <laughs> That is incredible. I crack up at that. And she tells she says all the time. She's like, I can't believe you made me go back to school. Yeah. She's like, how, how, I, I have to listen to my own advice. Yeah. 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 So wow. anyway, so, um, so anyway, so then I decided to tackle um, the weight and they had warned me that a surgery was not a quick fix. It wasn't, you know, it's not the magic pill. If you don't change your life, you're really going to gain the weight back. So the, the doctor actually made me promise that I was going to change my life and I was going to um, get physically fit. And of course I promised whatever because I wanted, you know, and, um, but I didn't really do it. So I would go for my checkups and he would ask me if I was exercising and I'll go, yeah, I'm walking. Cause yeah. you know, I have to walk from the parking lot to the yeah, office. You I know? walk the stairs. I walk, sort of. I walk. 
And so he was right, though. After about 75 pounds lost, it stopped and actually gained a few back. And I'm like, oh, crap. I've got to actually change my life. So I had to go to a gym for the first time. And I it, that was traumatic. There were mirrors all over that place. Yeah. And machines. I got on this machine. I know now that it was an elliptical. And in five minutes, I was dying. So I had to pretend that I didn't know how to work it or something and like go to a, go to a treadmill because mm-hmm. yeah, that was bad. So yeah, but that was the start of a journey. And um, I ended up, my sister was riding a bicycle and talked to me into riding a bicycle. And before I knew it, at first it was in the neighborhood. I just would ride a little, little bit in the neighborhood and then rode around Lake Hefner. And I'll never forget that because I went to Lake Hefner and there was like a trail and there were people on like rollerblades. I mean, there was all these people, like it was like a cult or something. Like, yeah, yeah, people. they're all riding around. I had no idea. Like I had no idea we had that in Oklahoma City. So. Um, I rode all the way around the lake and I'm like, where's my medal? Like, this is amazing. I'm Lance Armstrong. And um, then I started riding my bike across the state of Oklahoma. So there's a bike ride every year called Oklahoma Freewheel. And it's a bicycle ride across the state. It takes a week. You go through all the different small towns in Oklahoma. And I, I've done that for about 12 years. And then there's a marathon we have here, the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. And as a survivor, I pass out medals at this marathon and get to watch people at the finish line. Well, if you've ever watched a marathon at the finish line, it's very moving, very emotional. Yeah. I don't know a thing about running. I just worked at the finish line. And I get all emotional seeing people young and old and with all kinds of disabilities, and they're crossing the finish line. So, of course, I'm thinking, well, they can do it. I can do it. So, I tell everybody, you know what? I'm going to run next year in honor of my best friend, Sonia. Mm. I'm going to run in honor of her. I talk about 20 of my coworkers into doing it with me. We show up for the very first local land runners run and it's 20 degrees outside. I'm thinking nobody runs in that. You'll die. Nope. There were 400 cars there and they were all getting out and running. So I got out and ran too. I could literally run for 10 seconds before it sounded like you needed to call 911. And then I would have to walk for about two minutes. I was so regretted making that promise. But anyway, oh my goodness. Um, I did completed the marathon and you completed the marathon. Completed the marathon. It was awesome. And then somebody said, you know, if you just learned how to swim, you could do this thing called a triathlon. So, so, wait, I, so where are you on the weight journey at this point? Um, so by the time I started doing triathlon, I had lost as much weight as I was going to lose. So okay. I, I was I was pretty much there. So um, I was still overweight when I started riding my bike, though, because I remember I had to pick out a bike that I thought the tires would be big enough and not pop. So um but yeah, so then I learned to swim about five weeks before my first sprint triathlon. I got a swim coach because I didn't know how to swim and learned how to swim. Like at all or like? No, like I could dog paddle. Okay. And so this was like an indoor, like little gym sprint triathlon. So you had to do your pool, you had to do a pool swim. So I learned how to swim, but then I was so slow that I was real far back in the line and the guy in front of me dog paddled. So I still had to dog paddle, even though I had actually learned how to swim. So then, of course, I wanted to do a legitimate triathlon in a lake so I could actually swim. Yeah. So then that went to an Olympic distance. And, uh, you know, it just kind of kept. And then when I turned 50, about five years ago, I thought, I'm turning 50. I do something badass. Like, we got to level up. Right? Yeah. So that's living life intention with intention is when you just keep going. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm going to keep leveling up. So I thought, you know, there's this thing called an Ironman. I think I want to do the Ironman at 50. So an Ironman <laughs> is a 2.4 mile swim followed by a 112 mile bike ride finished up by 26.2 marathon, all within 17 hours and time cuts along the way. So I went to Arizona because we didn't have one in Oklahoma yet. We do have one in Tulsa now, but, and I became an official Ironman finisher in Ironman Arizona. Yep. Oh man. And so did, do you, are you an Iron Woman? No, I'm an Ironman. Iron Man. Okay. That's Absolutely. amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Have the tattoo and all to prove it. Yep. Seriously? Oh yeah. When oh, you do an Ironman, you have to get a You got to do it. Yeah. Wow. So you did one. Have you done multiple since? So one Ironman. Um, after my Ironman, I started having knee trouble toward the end of um, training for my Ironman. <clears throat> Not from running. A lot of people assume that it's from running. It's actually from living most of my life being um, very obese. Took a toll on my knees. So I knew that I was a ticking time bomb on my knees. And in fact, 20 months ago, I had double knee replacement. So now I'm finally back running again. I just started training for the Oklahoma City half marathon for the spring. I just started. I'm only up to 5K shape right now. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. So I had to take a break from all of the triathlon stuff and move to hiking, kayaking, some sports that were easier on my knees while I healed up. So Wow. 
So you, so you conquered, uh, going back to school, losing the weight mm-hmm. and taking it to another level and, and finishing yeah. an Ironman. And then I also decided that life is short and I think you need to intentionally be thinking about your future. So I'm already thinking about what's my next chapter going to be? Because yeah. just like you said, your story isn't finished. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. None of, none of our stories are finished. So we have to think about that and what's my next chapter. And I thought, you know what? I think I want to be an entrepreneur. I think I want to start a side hustle. I think I want to start speaking. And you know what? I think I'm going to write a book. So I did that too. Yeah. That seems like you're a finisher. Uh, So you mentioned the word complacency. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what that means for you. So I think for, well, for me, I know that I'm complacent when I'm just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it'll show up as burnout or just, I just don't get excited about things that maybe, you know, like maybe hobbies or things that used to be fun. I'm just not, you find yourself drifting, just kind of drifting Mm -hmm. from day to day. Mm -hmm. That to me, to me, I don't know what the proper definition is. That to me is complacency. Yeah. Um, And I don't like that. Now it's also, I also sometimes don't like pushing myself outside my comfort zone either. Mm-hmm. So growth is sometimes uncomfortable as well. But I I like the way it feels when I do push myself versus when I'm just drifting day after day, being complacent. What are some of the things that you, you know, because you've talked to a lot of people about your story, uh, you and others, how, how do you see some of this happen in your life? And how do you become kind of awake to the, that being your state? So, um, I think you have to check in with yourself in an honest assessment, not a beat yourself up and not a tell lies to yourself either. Like honest, like whatever that is, sit down with a cup of coffee, maybe it's a cup of wine. I don't know what it is, but you have to really ask yourself some hard questions. Mm-hmm. How am I living my life? There, there's a um, There's a book called the regrets of the dying by Bronnie Ware, I think is her name. Anyway, she was a hospice nurse who interviewed her patients that were dying. And the number one regret of the dying is not living a life true to yourself. Mm-hmm. So you can be running around doing all kinds of things, doing things for other people and still not be living your life true to yourself. Yeah. So I think it's not just about being busy, but it's about really checking in. Like, am I really living my life the way I want to? Like, am I really becoming the best version of myself? If I, and that's where that question I ask myself on the regular, if I had a magic wand, what kind of person would I be mm-hmm. becoming? Mm-hmm. What would my life look like? Like, what, what am I moving toward? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then I look at my day, you know, what am I doing today? And that's where, you know, you have to break it down so small. Cause I think we have a tendency to like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. So tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym for an hour and I'm going to do like crazy stuff. Whereas instead it should be so, so tiny. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to introduce, I'm going to swap out, you know, my sugar drinks for non-sugar drinks. You know, start out so simple because small steps over time lead to amazing transformation. I mean, we know that. Yeah. And so- That's where the momentum comes from. It absolutely is. It's just at first, it's so small, you don't see it. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you've got momentum. Yeah. I want to break this down a little bit because being able to recognize that you're in a complacent state or you're in, you're stagnant, you're uh, stuck, you're Mm -hmm. all of the different ways that you might be able to describe that. It really comes down to a mindset shift Mm -hmm. for you to be able to be awake to go, this isn't me. Mm-hmm. This is uh, something is something is this isn't me. I'm not living, you know, to up to my potential. I'm not who I am. Right. And then there's like, uh, you know, taking responsibility for your condition. Those two things for those things to happen. That is a mindset shift. What were what was so, sort of like the the awakening moment? What were some of the things that you you realized where you were? What were some of the uh, things that, you know, sort of jostled you awake? Well, <clears throat> The question, when Lynette asked me that question, given your current situation, your current limitations, what is one thing you can do? Mm. It took away the victimhood. I couldn't be a victim. So she put the power she in put your the hands. power in my hands. And so, so many times I think we 
do kind of fall into wanting to be a victim. Like, for example, well, I don't really like this job. This really isn't the job I want to do. I'm not really good at it. So you're like a victim to like, oh, it's the only job I could get. Like, I'm just here. Like, that's being a victim. Like, a lot of times we do that. So. And you could have played that card. Yeah. Absolutely. You were in a bombing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And a lot of times in life, we are a victim. There are seasons where we legitimately are victims. Um, but at some point, there comes a point, you, you, you're a victim, but at some point, point you have to take responsibility for what happened to you mm. and that's terrible that's just a gross statement right there but it's true you have to take responsibility for what happened to you even when it wasn't your fault mm. or you're not gonna move forward yeah so um i'm not sure what exactly you know as far as the defining moment i i still think it was making it out alive and i just kept remembering that all through my life i remember that like you have a second chance and so now it's just part of my nature. It's just part of what I do. I do slip into complacency sometimes and I do go, okay, I think I'm in a flat, bad spot. Like, I think I'm in a bad spot. I need to do something. And it, you know, for me, it, it may look like if I'm getting bored with my day-to-day -day job, yeah. like the actions, then it's like, okay, let's look at your job. What can you switch up? What are, what are you not that great at that somebody else is better at? And what can you take from somebody else that you're maybe better at? Like, yeah. maybe it's time to switch things up. Within your power, there's always something you can do. Mm -hmm. um, there was a season where I didn't like, um, there were some things I didn't like at work, but I loved my coworkers. So I tried to look for ways to serve them. Like, how can I serve my coworkers better? And maybe we start going to lunch once a week together. Like you, sometimes it's not even about the actual work. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. about the work environment or mm -hmm. something. And so you, there's always something you can do. There's always something you can do. It's really powerful, though, the couple a couple of themes I'm picking up on is, you know, um, uh, you know, the uh, any great story, right, has like, you know, you got your normal, you, you have a disruption or an explosion, yes. and then there's a new normal. Yes. And there's these things that happen to people and you can either uh, grab onto it and make it a part of who you are, or you can uh, make it the thing that has stood against you that you can never you can never change. And I think. One of the things that I'm seeing with you is like this idea of uh, some of your most powerful moments happened at work, yes. right? You had uh, a, a massive awakening at you know with you know the the bombing, and then in the the recovery of that and the rebuilding, all of that kind of stuff. You had somebody invite you to change, mm -hmm. yes, right? And that happened at work, right? And your coworkers are a big part uh, of you know, a, a family model for you and things like that. So what, um, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's a, a big part of your story? I really don't know. Yeah. Maybe because I, I, I really don't know. I haven't ever thought about it. I've worked at the credit union for 34 years or is it 35 now? <laughs> anyway, that's a long time, right? So the odds are that, you know, I'm at the same place all these years that maybe I, I, I really don't know. That's amazing. Yeah. It really, it, it has to be a part of, uh, I mean, it probably has to just be a part of your purpose. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because at the end of the day, um, we do spend so much time with these people at work and we can make these people special or we can make them uh, Oh, we can objects. make them villains. Yeah, or, or villains. we can make them villains. Yeah. You know, if you don't like somebody, oh, you just, you know, can put all kinds of things. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Well, talk, so it's 35 years at the, at the yeah. same credit union. Right. So. Talk to me about some some of what you're you're doing today and and some of the maybe transformations that you've been a a, a part of. Like, how did you get into the position that okay. you're in today? Okay, like, so first, I have to tell you this. I just okay. gotta tell you this story. Okay, so you know, I told you that my life was in a tailspin when I was you know 20, mm -hmm. and I come to Oklahoma City for this you know second chance, and I'm gonna go interview to be a teller at this credit union. Mm -hmm. So I go in for the job interview. I'm interviewing with the the vice president of operations, and the CEO walks in, and, it, and she's a woman, which I'm just really shocked at this point. Cause back yeah. then, to see all women in management was kind of I, I didn't see that all the time. But she says, during the interview, she says to the person interviewing me, this is the CEO, she says, um, oh, is this the girl for the teller position? She says, yeah. And so she looks at me and she says, when's your birthday? You know, that's back when you could ask that. And I said, uh, March 31st. And she goes, oh, you're an Aries. And she looks at the person, I'm not making this up, looks at the person interviewing me and says, we need another Aries. You need to hire her. No way. I'm not. 
<laughs> so the I'm glad because if they would ask about my grade point average, you yeah. know, the zero point five zero. You're like, I'll we, bank we, on the Aries thing. We're gonna go with okay. Aries. Yeah, got it. It was Aries for the win. Mm -hmm. So that is my qualification. That is how I became CEO. Uh, Aries. No. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> So along the way, you know, Lynette, this mentor, the same mentor that I had just really kept seeing potential in me and kept pushing me, you know, like I got going back to school, um, taking some very specific industry um, courses over the years and just working in different areas. I was always, um, always liked doing different jobs. Mm -hmm. So I would take on different things, you know, instead of saying, well, you don't pay me enough to do that or, well, that's somebody else's job. Mm -hmm. Like I would just do it and learn to do it. And then before you knew it, I, I'm doing all these different things, you know, and it only helped me. So um, then when our CEO was starting to retire, she had mentored me. She'd prepared me, you know, for it. Now it wasn't her job to choose the next CEO, the board did. So um, a couple of years before she retired, I asked, with her permission, I asked to meet with our board and I told them that I wanted to prepare myself to be the best candidate that I could be, you know, understanding they yeah. choose, they yeah. may go outside, you know, but respectfully that I wanted to do everything I could to become the best candidate. And I asked if they would be willing to, um, I think it was, I don't remember which test it was, but it was one of those assessments. If they would answer some questions to help give me feedback, to help me prepare. And so I just started working very hard to, um, you know, um, take on more responsibility and put myself out there. Yeah. So you're yeah. you're uh, offering to help all along the way. You mm -hmm. humbly sort of say, I, you know, I'd, I'd like feedback on how to be the best candidate. Yeah. And, you know, how long have you you've been in the position? Uh, five years. It's amazing. So although I, I feel like it, we should call it 10 because COVID years are in there. Okay, that's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> oh my goodness! So what? What was that process like? Right. So you you uh, appealed for your candidacy, and what they what happened? So um, then, uh, you know, shortly before she retired, um, the board called me in and kind of had a Cinderella moment. They were all around the table and they said, we have decided, I mean, there really wasn't even an interview. I mean, I've worked there 35 years. Yeah. You know, they kind of knew everything, yeah. good and bad, you know? <laughs> so they said, you know, we, we've chosen you, you know, you're, you're the next CEO. And, um, that was, that was just really cool to that be able awesome. to step into that role for, cause it, the, my credit union is very personal to me. So, um, that was super cool. That reminds me of the pursuit of happiness, that Will Smith mm -hmm. movie, right? When they said, Hey, you know, we want you to come back yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. You know, your internship's <laughs> over but tomorrow. You start with us. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is pretty amazing. How many people, uh, from those original few, right? Survivors, how many are still left? Um, we're dwindling. So we have. One just retired. One, I think we just have one left. Wow, how, that that's and how many branches? So um, we have we have three um, large branches. And we have one that we rent space yeah. out of. Okay, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Well, um, what do you what do you think that you've sort of um, what part of a legacy have you kept, and what are some of the new installations that you've maybe put in to to that business and to the credit union? Well, um, I've, I've certainly kept, the, the one thing that stands true from the very beginning is our focus on service. Just, just this um, hyper focus on service. And we haven't, no matter what initiatives, no matter whatever, it's always about um, the member experience, mm -hmm. you know, wanting to make sure that, that we're doing everything we can to help our members. Um, so the philosophy of credit unions in general, no matter what credit union is out there, is people helping people. That's our philosophy. And so that it's all about that, right? Helping people. Um, the thing that um, I've done different was forced upon me probably. Um, and it was during COVID because it was, I had a moment where on March 13th, I had to make a decision. Being a small institution, was I going to be brave enough to say, I'm sending all my employees home with laptops and we're gonna figure it out. <laughs> like, that's what I did. So, and I was oh scared goodness. because I thought, what if the board thinks this is a bad idea? What if our members get mad? Like what, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. So we shut everything down. We said, we'll operate out of the drive-through and we will do everything. We rolled out video banking. Like we rolled out 
all these initiatives that normally would have taken like a long, like you would have gone through a process and it was just like, no, like, boom, 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 like do it now, do it. And we just, we figured it, we literally just figured it out. That is so amazing. So, um, so a lot of what we, um, put in place really came about fast and we did have growing pains from it too, but, um, and we did an online banking conversion and then we did a core system conversion, which if anybody knows what that is, that's. Holy cow. All, all your and banking. we yeah. just finished the core conversion just this past year. So we've wow. done some major, major, major work over the past yeah, so You've years. done some massive upgrades. Massive <clears throat> technology upgrades. So I would say the investment in technology has probably been probably the biggest change of what has happened since I've been there. Mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. happened over the just the past few years. Has there been anybody who uh, knew sort of, uh, you know, uh, pre-Amy Downs CEO to post Amy Downs or, or, you know, during, you know, Amy Downs that they're like, this is what's really different. And this is what I see that the, the mark that you're making. I'm not, you know, I haven't had anybody say that it probably the person that's probably really had the, the front row seat to my professional development was my, uh, was my boss who retired and I stay in touch with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really admire her. And, um, I did have, uh, there was a friend of mine that I've been friends with for years and years around a newer friend of mine. And the newer friend said, I just want to know, you knew Amy back when she was like 355 pounds and everything back before she, before the bombing, mm-hmm. like before she became like this crazy person, like, what was she really like? And my friend looked at her and she got really emotional and her eyes filled up with tears. And she said, she's actually the same Amy. She's just, she's just on fire. So she's, she's the same Amy. Now. Yeah. And I was like. I thought that was interesting because I feel like I'm almost two different people. But yeah, she she said she felt like I was the same, just on fire. You know, that's amazing. I, I've 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 had a, maybe a similar feeling before where you're like, it's like your heart's on fire. Like there's mm-hmm. there's something that's driving you that uh, has been there before, and it's a familiar feeling. Mm-hmm. But it's it, there's a new spark to it. There's a new fire to it. There's a new sensitivity to things. There's a new awakening that you sort of feel and and see so it's like for you you're like i feel like i'm two different people and then the other person's like no i've seen i've seen that spark in you for a long time and you know for the person that could be listening that doesn't have that spark you know that's a sign too that you might be hitting a rut Mm -hmm. and that's a sign where you need to sit back and have that what if i had a magic wand Mm -hmm. you know what if i had a magic wand what would i do what would life look like and you would be surprised when you back into that. Like I did something super, super crazy because I got depressed after the double knee replacement and mm-hmm. COVID and everything. And my husband said to me, you need to get the magic wand. You need to pull that like thing back Like he used out. that on me, wow. ticked me off. And then I thought he's right. So I did something kind of weird. I'm not advocating gambling. So y'all can edit this out. I'm not advocating gambling. But there, but I had this totally like, keeping this in. No, I, I was like, you know, the Willy Wonka scene where he doesn't, you know, maybe he has the golden ticket. Yeah, yeah. I don't even buy lottery tickets. So I text my husband, hey, we figure out how to buy lottery tickets and buy two lottery tickets and bring them home. He didn't even know where to go. He had to ask people at work. So he brings these two tickets home. And I'm like, I'm doing this for a reason because I was so depressed that I couldn't dream. I couldn't even answer that magic one question. So I thought that I had a lottery ticket, even though I know there's no way you're going to yeah. win it. You're, there's that point. Zero one percent of your brain that thinks, oh, what if I've got the golden mm-hmm. ticket? So I start writing down in my journal everything I would do if I won. And, it, you know, it's the same thing you probably would put down. Like, you know, it's the pay off the bills and take the family on a vacation, like all the things. And then I'm like, OK, fast forward a year. You're still rich. Like, what, how has your life changed? Yeah. How are things different? So I'm like, OK, I'm going to retire from work and I'm going to have a house like maybe in the mountains somewhere on a bike trail so I can ride my bike whenever I want. Mm. I got all into it. I was like, there's going to be little twinkle lights on the path. Like I'm describing it. And I got tickled because then it, you know, the next step is giving your current situation, your current limitations. OK, well, I didn't win the lottery. <laughs> you know, what are the smallest steps you can take? Well, we love to ride our bikes in the wildlife refuge near Medicine Park um, in Oklahoma. So I jokingly said, maybe we need to see if they have any lots for sale out there. Mm-hmm. We went out there riding our bikes that weekend. And sure enough, there was a new little street we'd never seen before called New Hope Lane. And I thought, I think we're going to buy a lot and just see what happens one day. Just see what happens. And um, I tell my sisters about it and find out my nephew owns a lot on that street and actually wants to sell it. I end up buying the lot. 
and just this week bought a used RV that is near there till we can build a house out there. That's so, so awesome. But it's that kind of thing, right? That wasn't even on radar till I forced myself to really think about what do I really want? And I had to go extreme and get a lottery ticket to dream it. But once I dreamed it, because I always say if you're in Medicine Park and you squint at the mount, it looks like Colorado. I mean, you mm. have to really squint, right? Mm. But <laughs> so I can go hiking. I can do all the things. It's not Colorado, but hey, it's given my current situation and my limitations. It's the next best thing. See, that's powerful. You know what's uh, striking me as you're saying that is what you did is you 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 found a way to jar yourself you you, mm -hmm. you to get back into this this thing and you imagined a different future yes. with the magic wand and then you began to pull things out of the future you saw yes. and you brought them into your today right that's what you did that is exactly and it. so you're like bikes is a part of my future this uh place is a part of my future mm -hmm. and you started taking them out of your future and bringing them into your today yes that is powerful I think the, the the thing that's really wild about that is I don't think that if, you know, if you're in a rut, <clears throat> there's a hopeless feeling. Yes. That victim thing that you were talking about, right. that sort of hopelessness or, uh, you know, it's not for me or I don't, I you know, that's not my story or whatever. Um, somehow, if you start thinking forward like that, and if you can jar yourself, it's simpler than anybody thinks. You can pluck those things out of your imagination and bring them to your present. It absolutely is. The the authors of the book, Hope Rising, um, which they actually are, it's Oklahoma authors. Um, they basically line out that hope is this idea that, you know, it's a better and brighter future and that you play a role. And so what they say is hope is very simply having a goal, um, a pathway, an agency mm -hmm. over that mm -hmm. to reach that goal. That's really all it is. And so when if you think about it, whenever you're feeling super hopeless, it's when you don't have a path. You don't know, you either don't know where you're going or you don't feel that there, that you have agency or a pathway to get to where you want to mm -hmm. go. Like that's when you start feeling that hopeless mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. So step one is what would you do if you had a magic wand? What would you do? What would that life look, look like? What would that life look like? What's step two? Given your current situation and your, and your current limitations, what are the smallest steps that you can take now to yeah. get that momentum going? What are the smallest steps that you can take? Mm -hmm. And then what I do, how that looks for me is I actually make like, I do this quarterly. So I like quarterly sit down. And so then I make like quarterly plans of like, okay, here's where I'm going toward. And then I check in every day with myself to see, am I like, I just kind of look at it, just glance at it, glance at my little list. What am I doing? Cause I think, I think our brains work a little time sometimes a little bit like an app it just kind of runs in the background so once you identify the thing you want you're, you're, you start figuring it out mm -hmm. your, your brain starts working overtime mm -hmm. to figure it out so if you just keep reminding yourself of it and looking at it a lot happens just by doing that that's amazing and i think that the other thing that you've said is that there's the discipline to walk it out there's the mm -hmm. Uh, and the discipline to revisit it, right? But yes. focusing on those daily efforts, those things right. you can do every day yep. towards that thing, right? Right. That's really powerful. You know, uh, uh, I think um, one of the things that you're, you know, the hope is a big part of it. And then the discipline is a big part of it. And I think a lot of people think like, oh man, well, I don't know if I have a lot of hope, but if they can figure that out, it's like, well, yeah, maybe not, I don't have a lot of discipline. So maybe I, maybe this isn't for me, right? One of the, my favorite definitions of discipline came from this book uh, called The Road Less Traveled. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you read it? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's like, uh, you know, acceptance of responsibility, uh, dedication to the truth, uh, balancing, right? It, it these, are, these things are so remarkable as it relates to, to being able to be uh, to commit to to commit to change, to arrest it, to see it, and to to actually walk it out and see just how easy it is to take those small steps. But you got to decide it isn't one decision. Right. It's like every day. It's every day. I'm making the decision. It's every day. That's amazing. But it's but if it's something you're excited about, so living a life true to yourself, then you're more likely to to have that discipline. You know, it's like when you when you try to have discipline about something somebody else wants you to do and you really don't want to do it, like. That's really hard. Yeah. You know, but if it's something that sparks excitement for you, then you kind of get a little, you lean in a little bit more to doing the hard part of the discipline mm. part. That's so good. Well, what do you, what do you think, um, what do you think holds people back? What gets in the way? There's themselves in their yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's your mind. You know, I think, I think when you look in the mirror, that's your worst enemy. 
You know, sometimes it's the, the thoughts and the things you tell yourself and not taking the time to really have that thoughtful assessment and, and really ask yourself what you want and have the ability to care enough about yourself, believe enough in yourself to chase whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you've been put down so many times or failed so many times that you're giving up on yourself. And, you, yeah. and that's where you need to just, you know, listen to some positivity, you know, change what you're listening to, put on some good music, put on some good podcasts, something, yeah, you know, yeah. shake your, jar yourself. Like you said, jar yeah, yourself. That's so good. I think, um, what's, what's sort of like, uh, what are you dreaming of now? Like what's, what's the, what's the next thing? What's the next thing for you? Like what are, what are, what are you imagining? So my next thing is I am, um, I'm, I'm thinking about my next phase <clears throat> and hope to retire in about four and a half years. And I want to kick that off by riding my bicycle across the United States. And then, um, then I will lean in full time to my speaking career mm. and there might be another book. Unbelievable. So. What, what is, uh, what would you say is, um, what would you say, like, if you had to describe your purpose, what would you say your, your purpose is? So somebody asked me this, uh, not very long ago. They were like, how, what would your purpose be? Like, describe it, like, draw it. I'm like, draw it. And the first thing that popped in my mind was an alarm clock. I, I'm, I think I, I'm an alarm clock for people. Yeah. I just want to be that alarm clock to remind you. Cause really anything I have to say is not anything we don't know already, but sometimes you need to look across at somebody and just somebody who's lived it out or they've seen it or whatever, just be that alarm clock to like yeah. wake somebody up. That's powerful. I, th- I think, um, if there's anything that, uh, has touched my life is when people took the time to help me wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, me too. and I think, uh, mentors do that. <clears throat> I think that friend, real friends do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the compassion and kindness to do that, I think is more valuable than anybody really knows. It really is. To help you wake up. Yes. That's really powerful that that's, that's how you see, that's how you see your purpose. Cause I would say if uh, people could wake up uh, and see how easy it is, maybe not necessarily easy or how maybe how simple it yeah, is simple. to change mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'd have a different world. I do too. You know, I do too. I think I, I, I think I think we'd have different businesses. Mm-hmm. I think we'd have uh, different motivations. I think we'd have we'd have a different world. So that's that's really powerful. You to for yeah. you to be that alarm clock yeah. for people. And just to tell you this, um, so you know, I told my boss if I had a magic wand, we'd you know be this great culture and everything. So the last several years we've been one of the best places to work in Oklahoma also right along so with Heartland. So, so you imagine that great culture. I know right? it took a long time, but Hey, we got there. Hey, <laughs> you know, 30 years to get there, there and you did it. That's super powerful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have some rapid fire questions for okay. you. I, I don't think we, we didn't share these with you. Mm-hmm. So I have some rapid fire okay. questions. All right. So, uh, after people get to hear your story, what's the most common question you get? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, actually, what usually happens is they come up to me and they start telling me about the thing they want to do. That it's actually they, it's usually not a question. It's they usually come up and want to talk to me because I made them think about something they wanted to do, mm. like um, you know, five k or what it's some something. And so it's you. So I can't really think of a common question so much as it's usually something they're telling me about themselves. That's awesome. So that's awesome. Well, if um, someone were to play Amy Downs in a movie, who would it be? Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. I love that. Everybody, everybody used to say we looked like when I was thirteen because I used to have the big thick eyebrows, you know, when uh-huh. I was thirteen. So yeah, everyone's like Brooke Shields. Brooke okay. Shields. Well, uh, tell us about what it, what is the uh, Oklahoma standard? Oh, the Oklahoma standard. Uh huh. You're like, there was not supposed to be a test. There's not supposed to be a test, but actually I want to say something really cheesy and it Uh would sound, it would sound like, you know, it sounded too cheesy. So I I was checking myself, but I was going to say like Heartland, like you were describing like what y'all are doing for entrepreneurs and how that you want to be like the champion, you know, for them and how, like you said, you were saying to me and y'all can edit this if I can't say this, but like you were saying, you know, how people don't know how much, you know, y'all give to the good mm-hmm. causes that y'all mm-hmm. give and all this stuff that you're doing. And I'm like, like, 
that's the Oklahoma standard. Mm. Like that's it in action, in real life. In yeah. real life. So good. I was thinking that, and then I stopped myself. I was like, okay, that's yeah, not don't say that. No, it's okay. That's a great answer. Great answer. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, what what would be um, one thing you'd like to say to uh, a first responder if they were sitting with us? How grateful I mm. am. How incredibly grateful I am. Mm. That's good. I figured you'd say something about being thankful. It's super good. So as an author, uh, how do you get past writer's block? So, okay, this is a, a really great question and I have an amazing answer. You hire a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> Legit hire a ghostwriter. You're like, I just need something that says something kind of like this. Like, so my ghostwriter was my nephew. Mm -hmm. And this is really kind of funny. So I told him he would have to ride a bike with me though every time we talked. Because I don't have two hours to sit down and just talk to somebody like for nothing. Well, I don't know, except for you. But anyway, um, yeah. so, except for you. Yeah. So but so I would make him go, we would ride, I would make him ride a bike. So, and we I would tell him everything and then he would go type it up before his job the next morning, send it to me and then I could edit, right? Uh, so, yeah. Um, it's not cheating, right? That's like oh, actually so. a thing. So it work, if you're not good at something, the best thing you can do for your company is to find somebody else who's better at that thing. You do the things you're good at, yeah. right? So you're like, yeah. dude, I'm the one with the story. Yeah. So it's okay. delegation. Yeah, I, it's totally I hear you, fine. Amy. I hear you. <laughs> um, so is it true that you were once a radio DJ? I was. What did it, what, tell us about this. What so, was that about? Yeah, it was this uh, little bitty radio station in Shreveport, Louisiana with the call letters KFLO. And the tagline was go with the flow on KFLOW. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like how ridiculous is that? So yeah, and my time slot was like, I think 4 a.m. to like 10 a.m. when nobody listened. Uh -huh. And I was the only person in the building because it was like a Sunday morning in this creepy old building in downtown uh, Shreveport. And yeah, and I, yeah. And you had the radio voice. <laughs> I had the radio voice. Oh, I also yeah. had a also had a persona of Mama from Mama's Family and I would do, <laughs> I would impersonate her and do radio commercials. This so. is amazing. Did you ever have like people find you and say things to you about it? Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Yep. All right, uh, you went from unhealthy to completing an Ironman. What yes. was your best kept secret? My best kept secret yeah. as far as like uh, Ironman or? Yeah, how'd you do it? Anytime in between, unhealthy to Ironman, what is your best kept secret? Oh, I'm an open book, so there's nothing a secret. Okay. Everybody knows everything. Everybody and literally knows. I wrote a book. Then that's like your best kept secret. <laughs> He is your best kept secret, is that my best kept secret is I keep no secrets. I keep no secrets. Oh, that's good. People probably wish I would. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm an overshare. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's good. Well, what's one thing about uh, Oklahoma City that you'd want everybody to know? How amazing the people are. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This is the best place. It really is. And it's not just that we have amazing people. See, I think we used to say that when we had like an ugly downtown, yucky downtown city. You know, we said, oh, but the people are amazing. People are like Consolation Prize. No. We have a freaking amazing city. Like it doesn't look anything like when I first came here. It is totally happening. And um, yeah, and the people are great too. You know what's been awesome to learn about the city? Cause you know, I, I live in Colorado, uh, but I come here often to Oklahoma City. Go, okay, you need to go to Medicine Park and squint and tell me I'll if do it looks it. like Colorado. I'll do it, I'll be okay. like, does this look like the front range? <laughs> the thing that I, I find really interesting is when you hear the people that talk about the restoration of the city after mm -hmm. the bombing, mm -hmm. it is amazing the amount of attention, uh, funding, the all of the things that flowed into the city to really transform this place. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it was one step at a time mm. over time, consistently. And look what we have now. Look at it. It's mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a great place. Yeah. Well, who's an entrepreneur that inspires you and why? Hmm. Who is an entrepreneur that inspires me and why? I don't know. I'm having brain brain block or something. Um There's not a ghost there's not a ghostwriter right now to tell you which one you've said before. Actually, no, I will tell you actually, um, my nephew Caleb. Oh yeah. So he recently he didn't want to be complacent and he had a great job and he decided to go out on his own. And I have just been so proud of him, like watching him, like just doing it, right? Just doing it. What's the, what and is he, he doing? And, and he went really thoughtfully into it because he didn't want to, um, he wanted to do it right. So um, he's an attorney and he also just created 
this party makes no money off of it's a passion project but he is just releasing a podcast in fact i got to listen to the trailer last night and it's really cool really interesting and i don't know i just yeah that's awesome i think he's got it going on that's awesome well good well um when you get up and leave from this conversation what's the first thing you're going to do i'm gonna go find lance hafner if he's here and say hi good That is so awesome. He's such a great, he's such a great one. He, we love having him. He is a mentor to me, actually. Yeah. And, it, you know, that's something that's important. You can have a mentor that's younger than you. Yeah. You can. That's amazing. So. He's great people. we got yep. a lot of great people around yes, you here. you do. Well, hey, I have to say it was super special to sit down and talk with you Thanks. for you to kind of share the way that you did uh, and what, you know, share your story. And it just means a lot for you to come and be in the studio with us. Well, it was an honor. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Grace. Thanks.